So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's awesome to have you tuning in. Today, what I really want to talk about is this concept of asymmetric returns. As an investor, you are effectively constantly making small and large bets. And the question that I kind of want to unpack a little today is whether the upside has to be way more than the downside. Does it have to be asymmetric? Now, just to give you some context around that language of that word, um, asymmetric returns really refers to that sort of situation where the potential upside and downside are out of balance, meaning there's significantly more upside versus the downside, or they have different magnitudes. For example, uh, an investment with a potential return of, say, 10%, but a potential loss of 5% is said to be asymmetric, meaning one side is greater than the other side. One of the areas that you hear this language thrown around a lot is particularly when it comes to, say, for example, hedge funds and venture capital, share markets. Because if you think about a venture capitalist, for example, when they take their pool of money and they're putting it into dozens of startups, really their expectation is that some of those startups will give them a 100x return. Now, um, they also recognize that the odds that they play are significantly riskier than many other asset classes. They are prepared in many instances to lose, if not break even on kind of 70 to 95% of their investments. They know that there's going to be a total loss, but they know that there's a good 5% in the investments that they make that will kind of take them to the moon, that will be 100x on their original investment. And so the sort of asymmetry that they're looking for in terms of returns is significantly different to what most investors are looking for. You know, often these guys have the luxury of having, say, for example, invested in an Amazon or one of these funds that, you know, Apple, uh, where they were kind of there at the ground level and they've watched those investments kind of, you know, 100x over a couple of decades or at least 15, 10 to 15 years. You know, there are other deals that they thought would be great, but for whatever reason, the founder wasn't able to kind of get their ducks in a row and the business has failed in its entirety, all investments lost. The question I really want to kind of unpack for you guys today, because it's an interesting concept, but you're probably thinking, well, how does that relate to me, is really asking this question of are asymmetric returns always necessary? And frankly, the answer to that is it depends. It depends on the investment strategy and the risk tolerance of the investor. So even as a newbie investor, there are plenty of platforms out there that allow you either from a crowdfunding point of view or otherwise to get in at the ground level on a lot of business ventures. Now, depending on whether you're doing that for passion or sport or just for fun, will kind of determine how much of your capital you would allocate to those sorts of deals. But intuitively, most of us recognize that 
the potential for loss is very, very high. Uh, now, could those investments really catapult and give you a fabulous return? Well, maybe, but some investors may prefer asymmetric returns because the potential gains are enormous and, you know, they're going to the casino and saying, well, you know, the worst that can happen is I lose my money. Um, other investors are going to prefer more balanced investments with more balanced ratio between gains and losses. And, you know, that is based on a number of things. And, and I kind of, these are the things I want to kind of delve into today. So the number one thing I would say about whether or not you should be chasing investments which have a really large upside with a very small downside is kind of dependent predominantly, in my opinion, on the part of the journey that you are on. So when you are starting out, and let's just say you've entered the workforce and you're thinking about investing, you are trying to get as much traction as you possibly can. You're trying to grow your net worth, grow your capital base. So in those situations, especially when you've got time on your side, you know, you can kind of afford to lose small chunks of capital as you go because you've got so much time to recover. So I know certainly in my younger years, I was much more prepared to stake a bet on something that might actually pay off handsomely. Now, did I lose at times? Absolutely. But I can understand the mindset as a younger or less experienced investor is, why not? Like, I'm just going to give this a go. It might pay off handsomely. Now, a lot of people, as you know, lost a lot of money on the blockchain, you know, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum style environment. It seemed to be kind of dubbed as the get rich quick type environment. And so I think as long as you're aware that it's a highly speculative game, those sorts of things can certainly still continue to make up part of your portfolio, provided you understand there is a high, high probability of total risk of loss of capital. I think there were a lot of people who were really devastated by financial losses that occurred with blockchain last year and crypto because they had taken probably what seemed like in hindsight unnecessary risks with other assets. So for example, refinancing homes in order to put uh, as large a sum of money into say for example bitcoin in the hopes that you know you got some exponential return in a very short space of time so you know this this idea of asymmetric returns when it's driven by greed is definitely something you got to be really careful about you know in terms of like how the desire for asymmetry diminishes or grows is really kind of part of the investment journey but my observation of um, really astute investors, if I kind of witness their journey over a period of time, is that as your net worth grows, as your wealth grows and you build yourself this really solid foundation, your desire for asymmetric returns diminishes. What that means is that your desire to kind of start gambling with, you know, the hard-earned wealth that you've created becomes less. You start wanting to take smaller bites of more cherries rather than taking everything and putting it into a few deals. Not to say that that doesn't happen, but the general journey that I see with people is that once they start to establish a really solid foundation of capital, there's a shift in awareness to let me preserve this capital. 
The second thing I would say about asymmetric returns is this idea that most people do not have the luxury of playing with other people's money. And the reality around that is that, you know, when it's your own money, nobody cares as deeply about loss of that money as you. Um, the number of times I've spoken to investors over the last 20 years who gave their money to, say, for example, a wealth advisor who did whatever with it, invested it in a bunch of shares or funds or trees, um, speculative investments, whatever, and then had to report back that the capital had shrunk or that capital had been lost. And the reality is that, you know, you can be offhanded about it when it's not your money. And I know if you talk to a lot of fund managers, and there's a classic scene uh, that I saw on uh, YouTube the other day, where it was the opening scene where Matthew McConaughey takes uh, his new rookie trader out for lunch, and is beating his chest and talking about the purpose of being a broker is to take people's money regardless of whether they win or lose and sell them on the idea of reinvesting. And, you know, obviously this is uh, allegedly not fiction, but I hear about that sort of mentality in the wealth industry all the time. The game that they play is they make money whether you win or lose and the sell that they have is that you should just keep investing because the symmetry of returns is is going to you know end up in your favor eventually now essentially i i think the point i'm trying to make here is when it's your own money and you are investing your own money then the significance of losses becomes much more real and when it's your own money versus investing somebody else's money it's real there's a real impact um, there are real ripple effects that are kind of in your world versus when it's for other people, you can kind of turn a bit of a blind eye. The third point I want to make is that it's really important that when you're in a position that you have uh, worked really hard, you've created this foundational wealth for yourself, and I'm talking any sum of money, you, you've worked hard, you've been really astute, you've learned about some strategy or investments, and you've created um, some net worth, some asset base for yourself, then the kind of mentality that I would encourage you to adopt is don't risk what you have and need for fun and ego. Um, and when I say fun and ego, sometimes this idea of more, we get dollar signs in our eyes and we take unnecessary risks. And particularly in an environment like the one that we are in right now, where in my opinion, there is a high degree of risk and uncertainty that's in the market, I would not be risking what I have a need for fun and for ego. And an example of that is sadly, there are people that I know well who took unnecessary risks just prior to the global financial crisis for various reasons. There was, they had enough, they were going to sail into a comfortable retirement and then they made silly bets on either businesses or assets or investments or they gave their money to other people, to developers and so forth because the returns, the asymmetry of the returns that these people were offering was so mouthwatering, was so enticing that they just felt they had to, they had to do it. Otherwise they would, you know, be eternally regretful. And unfortunately those things did not pay off and they ended up losing capital that would otherwise have given them that comfortable retirement for this idea of being, you know, filthy rich. And I think 
we're all guilty. We're all susceptible to this as well. So, I, you know, this is not a judgment, but this is like me imploring you, don't risk what you have and need for fun and ego and essentially wealth that you don't actually need. Be very mindful of putting it all on red or taking it to the casino just because. The final point that I want to make about this idea of asymmetric returns is I know in my own journey, I've certainly become more conservative as I get older. And it's not to say that I don't make mistakes or that deals that I do don't lose, but because I'm taking, as I said earlier, those small bites of many different cherries, if any one of those things goes belly up, I'm not going to die in a ditch over it. And, you know, the the final piece that I want to kind of really emphasize here is if more wealth doesn't actually change your lifestyle, the question you want to ask yourself is why would you bother? Now, let me break this down a little more because it's a slightly different concept to the idea of risking uh, wealth for fun or for ego. So an example of this is if an extra 10% in your net worth doesn't actually help you get off the treadmill, my opinion is that's not meaningful. It's not to say that it's not great. Okay, great. The, you know, the all ships rising, particularly say, for example, through COVID, heaps of investors I spoke to were patting themselves on the back about how they'd been great investors during COVID when really all they'd done is ride the wave. Now, you know, my own net worth grew significantly during COVID, but not because of any actions I took, but just simply, as I said, because the assets I had did really well. And so for me, it was kind of like, and I know this sounds silly, but it was a bit like monopoly money. It's it's kind of funny money. It wasn't real. Could I have liquidated during that time and realized those gains? Possibly, but I'm playing the long game. So I'm really mindful of this idea of if more wealth isn't actually giving me more what is the game? Like, how do I have to shift? I'm going to argue that for a lot of people, including myself, having that duplicate income stream that gives me the choice about whether I work or how I work is far more meaningful to me than telling myself or congratulating myself that, that my net worth went up another 10%. So it's really important that we all kind of pull those two things apart. I think there's a, an idea that net worth can certainly give us a sense of comfort. And I'm not saying it's not an important metric, but by itself, it is incredibly one-dimensional. And what we really want to be asking ourselves is how do we achieve the life outcomes, the life design that we want in order to live the life that we want. And wealth definitely plays a role in it, but wealth has to be looked at holistically, not just from a net worth paper perspective, but what kind of income stream does it give us? What kind of life choices does it give us? I'm sure you guys have come across plenty of business owners, for example, who earn fabulous income, but have a rope around their neck because they just can't get off the treadmill. And so we do have to be really careful what we wish for. We have to be careful what we aspire to when we're setting goals for ourselves. And we certainly have to be really mindful where there is a disconnect from the wealth aspirations and the life design. So guys, that's where I would like to leave it today. Certainly, I would just put a quick bow on this. The answer to the question around should you be looking for asymmetric returns is it depends depends where you are on your journey. I would also say that as you start to mature as an investor, as you start to get more experienced, as you start to build a solid net worth, you have to bring more mindfulness 
to this idea because say, for example, a lot of the deals that I'm doing right now, I don't need the asymmetry. I'm looking for sustainable, consistent, predictable returns. So guys, I hope that's helpful. Look forward to catching up with you soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.